Anyways, lads, let's crack on. So welcome to the Progress Theory podcast, everyone. And today we're going to do something a little bit different. So we've got the, the science, sports science side of the Progress Theory podcast, where for this season, Daryl and I are doing a particular challenge, uh, a marathon plus trying to increase our strength at the same time. Sorry, a four-hour marathon makes a huge difference. And we're obviously talking about certain coaching experiences and sports science and how we're utilizing them to try and develop the most appropriate program for us. And we're very different athletes. So it's good to see different experiences and get different ideas when it comes to the science to uh, apply it to training and programming. But this is a little different. So welcome to the round table, the progress theory round table, <laughs> where I wanted an opportunity to discuss more challenging and difficult uh, topics, more topics that have a lot more opinion behind them so it wouldn't be just us talking about the science uh, based on everyone's background and histories they're going to have different opinions on certain types of issues and I thought it was a good opportunity to really you know delve quite deep into some ideas that I have and great to hear your opinions on them as well so these these ideas or these topics could range from ideas around mindset or ideas around who we think is the greatest athlete of all time and why which leads us on to today's idea. So I called these guys up because I wanted to talk a little bit more about the GOAT, like the greatest of all time. What makes the greatest of all time? And if we think about it, every sport has their own greatest of all time. So if you had to create your own Mount Rushmore, so four people who's going to be on your greatest of all time, who would they be and why? And I think everyone, because of their different experiences and opinions will have uh, different ways of classifying who they think is the greatest. So for example, like I come from a bit more of an academic background, you guys come from more from a coaching background. So it'd be quite interesting to see like how we classify or define who the greatest of all time is. So before we get on with that, we've got a new member. Matt, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I feel like I'm on some kind of a AA meeting here. Hi, I'm Matt. Um, so uh, I've known Phil forever. Went to school with Phil um, all through the age groups. So I think one of Phil primary school, infant Fine. school. You go to Hearn. Yeah, year below, year below Phil at school. Um, my background. So I've had a coaching background pretty much uh, from school onwards. But I turned professional at golf at the age of 18. Uh, spent a couple of years playing alongside doing a coaching degree. Um, and spent 12 years in the industry, the back half fit, more focused on coaching, but a role that was tied in quite heavily with the running of the golf club as well. Um, and a couple of years ago, my best mate um, contacted me. Uh, he knew that I was interested in doing uh, my PT, Level 3, just purely to kind of bolt on to what I was doing in the golf industry and to potentially offer another kind of revenue stream for myself um, and kind of twisted my arm into moving from the golf industry into the fitness industry. So my love of coaching hasn't changed, um, you know, whether I'm teaching someone how to play golf or, you know, trying to give them, uh, trying to help them out with their aesthetic goals or strength goals, whatever it is. Um, I love the challenge of being a couple of years into the fitness industry and learning more. I mean, my knowledge isn't anywhere near as in depth as, as these, these guys, but um, 
it gives me the hunger to kind of keep learning, keep progressing. As much as I feel confident delivering a session um, to someone, you know, there's always room for improvement with regards to the why and the how. Um, a couple of years ago, so when I moved out the, the golf industry as well, I became addicted to and absolutely fell in love with uh, CrossFit. Again, not to the same standard that kind of Daryl's uh, made himself to. I, I mean, I will train as often as I can and I'm, I've been hooked on it the last couple of years and kind of not shying away from it and want to do as well as I can do. But obviously that's uh, personal goals that I'm not getting any younger at the age of 32. Um, so maybe in the kind of 49, 45 to 49 category is where I'm going to hit my peak, I reckon. <laughs> but um, I didn't. Dave Hippensteel. That's it. That's what I'm allowing for three serious injuries within that time and three sets of rehab. So it's about realistic. Um, but yeah, that kind of summarizes that sums me up. And I got a big kind of hunger. I love the whole concept around sports performance and you know, kind of looking at that side, you know, going alongside the mindset of it all, the preparation for it all, the ex- execution of it, um, as well as obviously my my day to day is coaching, you know, the general population where 99% of the guys I deal with are all kind of focused on moving a little bit better and uh, making aesthetic changes to their body. Nice. And if anyone wonders why I call Matt Tyler, it's because Tyler is his surname, just in case you're thinking I'm talking to someone else. But I've pretty much known you as Tyler ever since. <laughs> school days. Right. Didn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, Tyler and I played on the same rugby team got regularly injured together. So that was always fun. And uh, playing for Crowborough. Don't drag me into your level of injury. I wasn't quite, I wasn't quite at that standard. I dislocated my shoulder and that basically, that was it for me. It didn't want to go back in out of the back of that and that took my surgery on it, but I wasn't. That's why I say we got injured together because I remember that, because you got, no, you dislocated your shoulder. I don't think I was playing that game. And then you came back, you were playing 10, I was playing 12. You came off, so I had to then move into your position. And then I probably got injured, knowing me, later on in that game. Deal, I think it was. Deal and bets hanger. Yeah, I thought, this is it. I'm going to make my comeback. Made a really soft tackle 15 minutes into the game and just looked at the you know, shoulders hanging down by my side again. Yeah, like, you, were, you were like this, holding it and just looking at me and you just went, nope. <laughs> I remember, I was, the first time it came out, the first time I injured myself, it was out for three and a half hours and they basically had to sedate me at the hospital in order to get me relaxed enough to get it back in. The second time it came out was deal. And um, I was so kind of like, what's the word I'm looking for? Just, I laid back out of like exhaustion and frustration onto the floor. And as I laid, I was sat there and as I laid back, I'd relaxed enough for a second that it just popped itself back in. And the excitement of knowing that I didn't have to sit around for another three hours and wait to go to hospital room to get it back in was like, no, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. He's like, no, off you come. When you were speaking to me I, at the time of the injury, you, were, you had this tone of acceptance. <laughs> yeah. It was like, mate, I think this, <laughs> I need to reevaluate stuff here just because of how light the tackle was. I, well, I thought it was the contacts that was causing the issue. So that's why I knocked rugby on the head and was like, I don't need surgery. I'll just, it's obviously the contact. And then with one of our, with bots, with one of our other mates, so we went, I uh, started doing indoor climbing, like bouldering. And it was, I remember coming out from an underhang, got a good grip, went to pull myself up. Something just clonked in my shoulder and I, and I dropped off the wall and hit the mat and was like, 
I kind of remember that feeling. That's a bit, no, nah, I can't be. My arm feels all right. So then 10 minutes later, I did the same thing, went for the same run, pulled myself up and yeah, dislocated my shoulder again. And it was at that point that I was, uh, I was like, well, I can't, can't play rugby. I can't even do non-contact sports. I was like, I better go and, uh, I better go and have someone look at it. And, and then, yeah, I got it. I got it all pinned in about a year after that. And it's been all right since then, because you've got quite to a high level in CrossFit and it doesn't seem to be a pop from the odd niggle, but they yeah. don't necessarily mean it's related to the shoulder. So, No, I think there's still a, they, from what they said, there's still like a, a hole in the labrum around the back that at the time wasn't showing any, any, uh, influence on the symptoms that I was having so they left that as it was but yeah it's been a left shoulder sits in a better position than my right shoulder now mm. so just needs to the right the case because you spent so much time working on it that it ends up being your better one just sits in that position nicely and the right one just has that freedom of movement to start swinging around mm. <laughs> and if anyone wants to know more about Tyler uh, you did that podcast not too long ago where you described your CrossFit journey which one was that? Just in case anyone wants to hear a little bit more. With uh, Louis was, um, I'd like to, I don't want to do him any disjustice at trying to pronounce his surname, um, but uh, between two plates, Louis's great. He's a, he's a local PT to us. He's based down the road. Um, he runs a local charity event every year called uh, Pick It Up, Put It Down, which is basically like a, a fitness festival. Like, um you wouldn't call it CrossFit during the day, but very functional kind of fitness for absolutely all standards, uh, which was the first ever kind of competition I did. Uh, but then in the evening, it just turns into a huge kind of like local festival with food and music and stuff like that. And he raises loads of money for Sussex Air Ambulance. And um, Louis is one of the nicest guys you'll meet. It was a little strange doing the, the podcast because he asked me if he could. I saw him at Euros where he had one of his athletes who was competing. And I'm like, don't get me wrong. Like, I love the journey I've been on. It's wicked and it's growing, but I've only done stuff to like an intermediate standard. So it's still not up with like where Daryl's been traveling all over Europe and doing bits of like that. So I've been enjoying my journey for sure, but I'm still fully aware of kind of where I am. But when Louis contacted me and was like, asking me to dig deeper and asking me questions on kind of what's gone on and where I've been. And, and it was quite cool kind of reflecting back, I guess, on the... Mm the journey of where you know going back to playing rugby with you lot and golf and then kind of how I got into CrossFit from sitting there with my arm in a sling after my shoulder surgery watching Rich Froning documentary on on Netflix oh that'd be right um and so yeah it's quite it was it was a nice conversation but it was also one of those awkward ones where you feel like you're talking about yourself for a a long period of time and you don't want to come across as kind of talking about yourself for too long which I'm pretty good at, but I didn't want to come across as that. <laughs> but then again, I mean, a lot of people on podcasts that are interviewed, especially athletes, are kind of at the elite level. So whenever they talk about their journey, they seem to focus on what they're doing now and maybe a little bit of how it got started. Whereas most of the people listening are probably beginners, intermediates that would like to learn a bit more. So your story probably related to more people especially if they've overcome some particular injury or they've got into the sport because they've had a change of career sure. so, i yeah, i particularly like the uh podcast so definitely download it and uh have a little listen right lads let's let's crack on so i'm gonna just i'm gonna throw it over there okay this is the aim of today 
we've got to describe the key things which we think makes the greatest athletes of all time. And through that, we're going to decide, each of us, who is on our Mount Rushmore. So four athletes. Um, and probably at the end, what we'll do is we'll, through, um, trying to, through the elimination of certain others, we could probably come up with a combined four, a combined Mount Rushmore, which we think is the progress theory greatest athletes of all time. So I'm going to throw it out, out there to you guys first. So what do you think makes the, the greatest athlete of all time? Out of all sports, what makes the best the best? It's a good question, really, because yeah. so when I was, I was jotting mine together of kind of who I'd have on there, and I found it easier to kind of pick who have influenced me personally. And I yeah. guess you can then almost work the other way around and be like, well, kind of what have these guys like got in common? Um, and <clears throat> I guess something that from an athletic perspective is for me is that kind of that grit, that kind of determination that almost never taking a backward step moment whether that is comes down to you know injury approach like mindset to injury or uh, in on the competition field or standards in which they're doing their training or you know either either of those to be fair mm. do you think that the level of grit that they have or determination and hard work or work ethic supersedes their I say this in quotation marks, their talent. And it's kind of that approach which takes them ahead of everyone else. At the elite level, a lot of people are physically quite similar, but it's what is up top which takes them to that greatest level. Yeah, I, I personally definitely believe that. That you can that talent will only take you so far because when you get to the top, that generally they're all a lot of people are very similar, but who's gonna who's going to reach that extra or push that, that little bit more to whether that be just, I'm not going to give up or, or just surpass a little bit of injury. And, you know, when it, when it really hurts to just, just pull it out or when, when you, it may not be pain, it, it could be a sport that don't require that. Um, but I mean, just be quite resilient to whatever's coming at them and just keep moving forward. I guess it also means that they do it at the right times because I know a lot of accounts where you have athletes that trained at the elite level, but they probably wouldn't consider themselves like the greatest. And they'll say, oh, who, are the, who are the people that you trained with that were the greatest? And they might say athlete one or athlete two. And it's like, well, what made them the best? And quite often, uh, what they said was so great about them in training is just that they were consistent. They weren't sort of going all out every training session. They just did what was necessary to get better consistently. But when it came to race day or game day, they had this new level, which they were able to get into, which put them above everyone else. So in training, they weren't necessarily that special compared to everyone else, but on match day or game day, that I know they talk about it, the mindset, the mindset took them ahead of everyone else. And I don't even, I don't even think it's um, a doubt of whether they believe it or not. There's probably, you know, as much as there's confidence in their own ability, they know, you know, if you take, like you say, athlete A, whether it's a football or a basketball player, whatever it's going to be, they take X shots from X position. They know from a percentage, you know, that they're going to make it or not make it or whatever. They're, they're human. So, 
there, there's always going to be that human element, that slight doubt at some point that something might not work or something might go wrong. But whether it's a they've put on a face and you'd never know, it's never like go back to that never taking that that backward step of your footballer wanting to take a penalty in a World Cup final, for instance. You know, like whether you're shitting yourself and you're fully aware. I think there's Johnny Wilkinson said at the. Um, do you remember when we won the World Cup? Just just into extra time, we got a penalty on like 40 meters out, right by the right by the um, uh, sideline, and it was right on the limit of his distance of kick. And he said in his autobiography that he was so aware of every single person that what there was being shouted, he could hear almost individually what was being screamed at him from the sidelines. He was so aware. Now you look at his face, he's going through the same routine. He's looking up and down the goalposts. He's looking at the crossbars. Doing well. You couldn't tell any of that, but you can, he's so aware what's going on, but he's because he's put in that same practice, that consistency, like you said, he'd let his body go into autopilot and it was a phenomenal kick that went through the post and, and gave us three points. So it's that kind of like never shying away, kind of going off what, what Dow said, you know, like always prepared to take that risk, that gamble without fear of the fact that it may not happen. Does that make sense if I say it like that? Yeah. Yeah. Ish. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to think of when it comes to what taking that gamble are the greatest of the ones that they take the gamble and they succeed and the, the ones that aren't the greatest end up being the ones that take the gamble and don't succeed i would say they take the gamble and they do and don't succeed but irrelevant of what the outcome was from saturday doesn't mean that when it comes to sunday they're not going to take that gamble again mm. and every time they step up they're stepping up because they believe that they can hit that shot or make that kick or whatever it's not a it's not a, a role or responsibility hmm. that's forced upon them. It's something that they've found that they've they've installed either in their teammates or themselves. It, it sounds like self-belief is a real strong character. So these guys, which guys or girls that show off this level of self-belief, they must have almost like characteristics which show that level of self-belief or self-talk, do you think? Um yeah, I was, uh, I was actually going to, well, like if you look at, say, Conor McGregor is a fine one for the self-belief, I think. I, I always, when anyone ever mentions like that self-belief, like I think about him because of how he just repeatedly told himself, I'm going to be champion, I'm going to be, I'm going to be world champion at this, this weight, this weight. And it, 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 it never... I, I don't know personally, but maybe it, throughout his whole career of UFC, like he never won at one point did he say, I'm, I'm going to fail at this. Mm. Like it was constant just reinforcing that he could do it. Um, so then he actually then be began to believe that he could do it. Yeah. I think they call it the law of attraction, right? They just, you constantly say to yourself that you're going to do it. You start living like that and eventually you perform like that. Um, I don't know the science behind it if it is actually true or or whether you can get to that level from that or there's I'm guessing there's got to be some talent involved to it but when it gets to that point where like uh, Matt was saying when you're taking a penalty you've got to tell yourself yeah I can do it you've got 
there's going to be a moment of doubt regardless, but I think you've got to tell yourself, I've done this a thousand times and 900 times I've succeeded. So, Do you think there's a line though? There's a fine line. So I think we were talking about Conor McGregor as an example and you didn't have to have Conor McGregor. You know, you can look at a variety of guys yeah. with that very kind of um, extrinsic, like showing everyone, to constantly telling everyone and like being verbal about how good they are. I mean, Conor McGregor's funny one, like obviously absolutely class, but is the way that he is outside of his sport or is that part of the sport? Like the showmanship, like the mm. side of it, is that part of the sport that brings in the money? Is that something that he had to get good at as well in order to, to maximize his financial potential at the back of it? That makes sense because then you've got other greats that are obviously like, again, like some of the greatest of all time, you'd argue that in interviews, I guess, don't potentially come across with that mega, not arrogance, belief, mm. kind of that, that fine line, you know, um, that obviously I'm sure in training or whatever it might be in practice or in, in play there, they've got that self-belief that they don't want to pass it to so-and-so because they don't actually rate their teammate and they don't want him to let the team down. You know, they've probably got that inner circle kind of... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like inner circle kind of uh, doubts as such but yet they won't go to the press and go, well, I didn't pass it to so-and-so because I think he's shit. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely that fine line. Obviously, he he's very arrogant. I don't know how... I'm guessing with those combat type of sports, it is there's a bit of showmanship in there. That's how they sell yeah. millions of tickets and to the shows and whatnot. But I'm just, in, I'm just talking in terms of actually him believing in himself that much. I think self-belief is a huge uh, characteristic that is required by yeah. any great sportsman. I wonder if you, if you tied what both of you are saying up to a certain point where if you've got a strong level of self-belief um, and the ones that really rise above the others, uh, the ones like Matt was saying, how no matter what happened the day before, the week before, they still had that confidence to make the shot or do whatever it took to win. So it's like you need that self-belief, which a lot might have, but you also need to have the ability of not let other things in the past damage your self-belief, which then could affect your future. And that's going to affect your success, uh, certainly over a long period of time. If, you start, if things start to go a little bit wrong, surely the best athletes are able to shrug that off and still have that self-belief, which is going to take them further. If they let it bog them down too much, then it's going to, clearly affect their ability to perform everyone's gonna have a bad day right everyone's gonna they're gonna not perform to their potential or whatever it's going to be in the, the game that they do perform to their attention uh, sorry to their potential something may happen where they won't get the outcome they're looking for or however it may work you know it's a tough part with especially with individual sports well team sports as well that you know i could go out there and Daryl could go out there from a in crossfit event and achieve our potential max lift it whatever it may be a pb a fastest time or whatever and the two guys next to you have just lifted more or moved faster and you know you've still kind of gone unnoticed and and you're still down there so i think you've got that element of it but i think the great ones like you say relevant of how yesterday was performed they just go into tomorrow and especially with american athletes i think it's different especially if you look at basketball hockey you know well those two sports specific they play so many games that they're especially ice hockey they're playing like three times a week 
So there's no baseball's the same. Baseball's like there's no opportunity. Like you, it's not like like Premier League where they go on international leave and the last game you had was Gareth Bale had a shocker and he's got three weeks till he's playing again and he's in the press for three weeks. And Christmas break. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And and so I think. American and that might come down to mindset that is forced upon them due to the, the structure of the sport that they're in mm. and it's probably the culture that brings it's almost like the ability to purely focus on the task that's in front of you 100% like to shut shut the door on anything that's happened before and just look at what you've got in front of you and deal with it there being present um, I remember they made a big deal of that in the the last dance the Michael Jordan or the Chicago Bulls documentary. And one of them was saying, you know, he was the best ever because his, of his ability to be present in that moment, whether it be in training or in the last shot of the game. Because he was so present, he knew exactly what he was to do and he had executed it. He wasn't um, distracted by superfluous information coming left, right and centre from, he only just absorbed and reacted to the stuff that was necessary. But again, that's just something that they... He almost has to do. They play how many games in regular season in basketball? And it's like, congratulations, you made it to the playoffs. You're now going to play the Pistons seven times within the space of two weeks to see if you progress to the next round. <laughs> so I guess you don't have any opportunity to be caught up on it. But you go like Dallas at the other end of the scale with a fighter. You're Conor McGregor, you have a, you have a crap fight and your next fight is in six months' time. And all that people are judging you on or basing you on is like something you do like maybe once a year, once every other year. Yeah. So thinking about that then, could it not, is it easily forgotten because you're playing so often Potentially. compared to, for example, a fighter that's like six months or their everything that's put on media, social media, is just all about how they lost before potentially. Um, could be harder to forget. I guess like each sport will be different or different schedules and have different cultures around them. So it'll be interesting to see if, okay, if you had to name the GOAT from each sport, what are the key qualities that are the same? And I guess that hard work ethic and that, that self-belief is going to be one of the key ones. And just, you know, they apply that differently based on the, the structures of the sport that they, they work in. So, yeah. Go move, on, Matt, you. But I was going to say, well, move, kind of taking that in, moving with that, like, would you say an attribute, an attribute of a greatest athlete of all time has to have influenced the sport itself? So they would have had to have had, whether that is change the dynamic of the sport of how it's played or how it's viewed or how it's seen or perceived or like, because for me, that would be like the greatest of all times have basically redefined the sport in either a way that wasn't seen before. And they could be scrapped in 20 years time. They could be scrapped off. And, you know, that could be someone else who comes through the door and, and, and rewrites it. But even if you look at it in the simplest form, you look at the constant battle of, you know, who's the best footballer, Ronaldo or Messi, you know, and you go, well, actually, hold on a minute, you know, they are obviously right up there. But you go back 20, 30 years ago and, like, it was almost a completely different game back then to what it is now. That, that's, that's... Individuals have been asking different questions of the game that's made it evolve and move on or... Mm. 
that, that's probably the key thing that I looked at uh, when deciding mine, because I was trying to think, okay, first of all, I would try and write down who I thought was the greatest of all time in each sport and then try and decide, okay, which four stood out above the rest. Um, and a lot of the time I felt that the four that I chose became icons. And I mean that in a way that they became so big in their sport that they won changed the sport, but they are recognized worldwide because of just how good they were. And if you think of all the good players that have come after them, would they have ever got to that level based if the, this greatest of all time never had existed, right? They changed the dynamic of the game, of the culture, of how media perceives it, how the worldwide, the general population perceives it. Those to me are the greatest of the greatest of all time. Um, so we, uh, and to be honest, I did, I could probably choose more than four that I think satisfy that criteria. Yeah. So getting it down to four, then, well, it was really my own bias, I think. It's like, <laughs> these changed everything, and then these four I like for these reasons. <laughs> yeah, I got three for me, and then I left the fourth spot. I tried to divvy up between, like, another five, and I couldn't. <laughs> I, I had a list of about another six or seven that didn't even make it into that short list of the five that didn't make it in. Yeah. Um, exactly the same, you know, thinking like – that's a really good question you asked. So I've got someone in my head who uh, I don't want to spoil too much too soon, uh, but I also think it's going to be a generational thing as well, right? So as we go, as we like jump forward, like I said, another 30 years and the kids or even more than that, and these kids haven't heard of these people that we're talking about now and they're basing their football icons or rugby icons or whatever it is based on someone who's currently playing the game. And then we always used to complain playing rugby. You know how like you get the old boys stood on the sideline that are always saying, well, back in my day, you know, we we would have done this better or, you you know, we would have done this. And it was always much more difficult back in their day than it was on current, like, on current day. No matter what you said to them and explained how the game's gone and we're playing at a high standard than they are or whatever, whatever. Like, it was always tougher back in their day. So you think, revisit this podcast in like 50 years time and you think that, we would still be taking the people we're going to pick today as being the greatest mm. the benchmarks, or do you think they're going to be able to surpass them because of X, Y, and Z? Yeah. yeah. I'd like to say... My, Go on, Daryl. Yeah. I, I was thinking about like the influencing and stuff and how they change the sport on mine, but it's a bit different to me because I haven't... I've never really followed much sport. So I've, I've obviously... My my opinion on people are going to be a little bit different to yours, which is going to be interesting, but, uh, so, but we, we will see as we get to that. Yeah. I mean, I've tried to be as objective as, as possible. And like you said, try and avoid being in that generational gap where I'm just picking athletes that were alive during my time. And I was influenced by that cultural shift. Um, whether I've achieved that, thinking of my choices, I don't know. But it'll be interesting to see when you sort of list them out. Because we could have gone like, I don't know, Babe Ruth. Isn't Babe Ruth seen often said as the... Yeah, baseball, is he? Baseball? Um, baseball, yeah. But he was back in the like 30s, 40s. Uh, I don't fully know. But um, he never never even crossed my mind. Now, is that because I don't know much about baseball? Or is that just because I don't know much about sport in that pre-1950s? Um, 
I like to think I'm not that biased, but in reality, I probably am. But we are, it, is, it is our, go back to that, this is, initially we spoke of this as this is kind of our Mount Rushmore mm. and why. Um, and when I was, I was like, cool, well, how many other athletes are there? It's like Google. Yeah. <laughs> greatest athletes of all time. I'm not joking. The top 30 are probably like the top 30. There's only about five of them that weren't in ice hockey, baseball or American football. Mm. Like, Clearly written by an American. Well, potentially, but obviously, you know, they've got so many people over there. So many, you know, like there's so much more opportunity and they've got, so, and there's been, some of the sports have been going like football, for instance, American football has been going on for so long that you've got someone like a Jerry Rice. Have you ever heard of Jerry Rice? He's like renowned as like the greatest wide receiver of all time, spent most of his uh, career at um, San Francisco 49ers and loads. They'll always refer back to, oh, what a wide receiver like Jerry Rice was. And I've never watched a game of Jerry Rice. I have no idea. And he could be, mm should potentially be up there but if it was my four people i don't have that big a biasness to american football you know so i yeah i don't know if he's he's not for me an icon that deserves to be on my top four greatest of all time but for me i keep saying i don't know if i've said that enough yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool because we all have our own way of defining what the greatest of all time is like are we going more for you know this is mine because this is what i think or are we trying to be more objective everyone has more had different ways of trying to achieve or define certain things so that's why it's quite interesting to see what we all three of us come up with go on phil lead the way lead the way with one and, and lead just the way. Why, okay uh... all right then here's a question for you who do you think would be on it for me? Because there's yeah. one. There's one. We'll that, defend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If I had my way, if we're talking about this is my top four, I'd probably have Federer like four times. Sampras. Federer is God. Sampras, Serena Williams. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm not going to go full um, full tennis, but Federer is certainly on my on my Mount Rushmore. And a lot of that is down from the fact that tennis has always been a worldwide popular sport and you've had uh, very successful tennis players before that. Uh, you know, Pete Sampras, like you said, being one of them, he won 14 Grand Slams. But Federer was the first person to come in and be such an all-rounder at the game that it changed the way everyone else was trying to play. So it normally had people that predominantly were at the baseline and then you had others that were serve volley. He came in and could do everything to the point where he, what, in the mid-2000s, he won pretty much every Grand Slam apart from the French Open, which he's only won once. Uh, it, it, it was pure domination. And I honestly don't think that Nadal and Djokovic would have got to the level that they have today if it wasn't for Federer changing the game of tennis. Uh, and, and Federer's worldwide renowned, isn't he? He's, he's a icon not only in sport, but almost like a, a model, like you know, Uniqlo, Lacoste. Or, well, I don't think Lacoste, but every time he, every time he's getting interviewed, he's got a new watch on, which he's like speaking while holding it up like that. Like everyone wants a piece of Federer, even to the point where now he's winding down his career. Nadal's equaled him on Grand Slam wins. Djokovic is probably going to get there as well. But people still see as Federer being the boy, and that's 
that's the reason because he became that icon and that's why I think everyone thinks he's the GOAT and that's why he'd be on my on my Mount Rushmore basically to become a greatest of all time you need to have some kind of uh, partnership with Nike at some point in your career yeah and you need to become one of the Gillette models as well and if you've hit those two <laughs> yeah I think Oscar Pistorius uh, was that as well. So hmm, didn't quite work out for him. We're talking athletic uh, talents. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, better was one. Shall I go through the other th- three as well? And then uh, um, um, yeah, you get your, th- your four. Yeah, go for it. Go on. Go, go for Go for Okay, next one. And shout out if this person's on your four as well. Michael Jordan. He is on my four, and it'd be interesting to see why in a minute. Again, from a um, more from a cultural perspective, because basketball was successful, but not as successful as it could be. Jordan, it took a while for him. It must have been like eight years before he started really, or the Bulls started started winning championships. But him becoming so dominant and changing the way he moved on court and how he. Uh, attacked and how he practiced and all of that sort of thing it completely changed the everyone's perception of of basketball like he was a cultural icon in the mid 90s to the point where like even in the last stance he when he moved to baseball people were completely shocked and didn't know how to handle it then he came back and the, the cultural shift was even greater on top of the fact that he won three more so he was so dominant he was renowned for being a certain way, which I think, I think a lot of the top athletes are, but he was more outward with it. This whole idea that he was a bit of a prick, but he got the best out of everyone. I think probably to achieve that. You know that about him before the documentary. Yeah. You know, like, so, so many things I, you could kind of assume for me, you could kind of assume it again. I don't follow basketball hugely, but there was a scene, and this from my first interaction with Michael Jordan, however old I was, was Space Jam, when at the start of the film, yeah. he's outside, and his dad's come outside, and he's outside practicing in the dark with a floodlight on, and his dad's basically saying, Michael, come inside. He's like, one more shot, one more shot. And for me, at whatever age it was, that just in, in kind of instilled in my head that, like, there's always chance to do more. You don't need anyone around you. And you just kind of, if you want it, you got to get on with it and push yourself. And that was kind of, I, I can always, I've actually written that in brackets here, like can always go back to that scene. But I didn't know the depth of how you assumed that he was going to be a little bit of a bully and a little bit of a, you know, like this is kind of my team. I'm the best here. Like you're going to fit in with what I do. But for, the, for a lot of them to say that he was basically a knob, and if it wasn't for basketball, they probably wouldn't have anything in contact with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, was uh, I thought was a little bit surprising. An eye opener. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that scene in Space Jam is certainly profound after like reflecting on the last dance and everything that he achieved. Because that was filmed uh, during his comeback, wasn't it? Like he'd, he won three rings after that, yeah. I think. But yeah, I, I mean, s- similar to... um. Federer, like the way he he changed the way people played. If you think about Kobe Bryant and then they talk about the greatest of all time within basketball, like the way Kobe moved was so similar to Jordan because what is that? We, we get so far because we stand on the shoulders of giants. 
like he was able to get that level because he Jordan helped him get there by changing the game beforehand. But so it was no different to Jordan though. Like he he moved. It was very similar to Jordan. Mm. It was two point oh. Yeah. Like, he even admitted that, didn't he? Yeah, for sure. So, and you look at so you go on the the Jordan LeBron James like who's the best? You know LeBron is obviously unreal and he's doing different to what Jordan did with regards to moving to multiple or being traded to multiple teams and doing it time and time again and winning with multiple teams and like but I still don't think even though LeBron is a different build different style of play I don't think LeBron will ever be he didn't he's not changed the game of basketball you know so I don't think he'll ever be put yeah it can be just below, but I don't think he'll ever get pushed up to being on, on that same pedestal. Mm. No, I agree. I agree entirely. I think LeBron's going to beat him on many of his stats eventually, but Jordan will still be seen as the GOAT. Number three, Usain Bolt. Again, worldwide cultural icon. Track and field has had... Periods in the past where it's got very popular, then it gets rocked by um, people failing drugs tests and all that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, you've got this athlete that looks completely different, has used his his difference in stature to his advantage. Um, And from that has been completely dominant during his time in track and field. Although he was beaten, he holds most of the records. But aside from the records, it's more how he changed, how everyone... He was an attraction to track and field. He was an attraction to the Olympics. Like, I always thought with Usain Bolt, if he ever got done for for drugs, track and field would be in serious trouble. The greatest icon, the greatest thing that gets people into the sport at grassroots level, you know, people paying tickets to see sprinting. Like, if that ever happened, that would be in real jeopardy. And only only an icon could actually... Uh, put a sport in that situation so he'd be my number three and then my number four it's a bit of a a toss-up between two but I'm going to go with this one purely because it follows on from Usain Bolt because it's another sprinter Florence Griffiths Joyner who is a female American sprinter who her her records in the 100 meter and 200 meter sprint at the 88 Olympics still hold today so her most race PBs and world records have, have gone in most events, haven't they? Over the last few years because of, you know, enhancements in training, technology, all that sort of thing. But her records have held since 1988, which I think is very impressive. But on top of that, you know, it was much more difficult for uh, females in the past to get more recognition in terms of media like her participation and how she, you know, she had the um, flamboyant sort of, uh, nails and she was quite a flamboyant character. Like that was such a big draw and got so many people into sport. Uh, I think was she's a trailblazer when it comes to female sport. Uh, and she got the nod just ahead of Serena Williams for similar reasons, but just in a different sport. Um, but that's why I've chosen. That's my four. And again, it's very, very cultural. They affect culturally, and that's the reason why I've chosen them. Who wants to go next? And to see if our reasons are similar. 
Daryl, you go, mate. You head it up. Okay, so mine, I've kind of gone, because I've never really, I grew up, I never really followed much sport. I never really played much sport. Played rugby as a kid at school, and that was it, really. Um, and then I joined the army, and I never really, you don't really get time to follow sport or look into that kind of stuff. So I've took, I've chose two people that have really influenced me in my journey throughout my life one one just brings happiness to me as a child the other has got to like push me to get to where I am now and then two that I think are just really they are great to the sport similar reason to feel one might be a little bit too early to make an impact on the sport but I think over time definitely will so I'll start with I'll go with the two that have really influenced me first one um Tony Hawk Yes, what a choice. Um, yeah. One, because when I, when I was a child, like, it was so easy to get a skateboard. And that was, and anyone that owned a PlayStation would have played the game and they would have instantly wanted to go and buy a skateboard and practice skateboarding. I lived on Halen, there was a skate park just up the road. Phil knows where that is. Um, and from then, skateboarding, I was, I was never really good at it. I noticed that it took a lot of skill and what, what Tony Hawk himself can do on a skateboard is pretty impressive when you actually try and do it yourself. <laughs> but then from there, just being in a skate park, I got into BMXing, got into rollerblading and I was, I was a very overweight person. It, just, it was just fun. It just, like Because of him and his game and what he could do on a skateboard, it just brought fun into my childhood um, and I think it done that to a lot of other kids maybe not so much now uh, maybe like our gener our generation or around that age because they played the game but it's not it's not it's not as big as it was back then I don't think but um, it should be that, yeah definitely should be it's, it's, now, I surely still say Tony Hawk like I, was, oh. I couldn't even tell you who they'd replace him with. Like they'd have to educate me all over again. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know either. Um, but it, I'm sure yeah, pretty. If they're already into skateboarding, then maybe they'd know about Tony Hawk. But otherwise, I didn't know nothing about skateboarding until I got a PlayStation. <laughs> and then you play Tony Hawk Pro Skater, uh. and it, the music's great, and you just you're having a right laugh. Um, I, I think Tony Hawk also drew so much attention to all uh, extreme sports. Like you said, he got you into BMXing. Uh, and there's loads of different categories of sport which he drew attention to or because the media then pointed a finger at him, they saw like, oh, what's all of these different sports as well? And then new, new sort of popular faces within sport and in the media popped up. But it all started with Tony Hawk. He was the cultural leader there. Yeah, completely, yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like the X Games and stuff like that. Mm, it, just, yeah. it brought brought uh, big attention to that kind of stuff. And the other one um, that's influenced me, but I, I, this is going to be fairly obvious, it's, it's going to be Rich Ronan. Um, when, I, when I was in the army, all I did was run. I never really followed anyone or looked at uh, another runner like, oh, I want to be like them. Uh, all the other guys that I worked with wanted to, wanted to just lift weights to get like aesthetically good 
and build muscle. And that, that wasn't really my type of thing. Um, and then I found some documentaries on him and completely uh, from that day on, it was like, I want to be like that. I want to do that. And that's got, that's got me where I am now. And I, I think as I think CrossFit as a sport wouldn't be where it is without, without him, I would say, I know you've got some bigger guys coming through now, but I still think he's the greatest. Um, that's a personal opinion. And I, I feel that he's developed that sport as much. I know people don't may not see it as a sport CrossFit, but um, I do. And yeah, that's, that's my opinion there. And would you agree, Matt, um, being a CrossFitter as well, that I've not got, and this will go back to my reasoning behind why I've picked I have, I've not got any CrossFitters like, like Rich and Matt didn't make it into my short list of like 20 names hmm. only because it was going down the greatest of all time. I, I completely see CrossFit as a sport, but being like from a competitive, like 15 years old, basically, isn't it? From like a competitive, like first CrossFit Games to now. Not saying I wasn't giving it any like justice, saying that it's not got enough history behind it yet. But I just kind of felt like 15 years almost isn't, and like it's changed so much anyway. That as much as I completely agree with Daryl, and I think Rich Fronin has like undeniably changed the way that outside of CrossFit people view fitness. Yeah. Um, and it's down to like anyone who doesn't do CrossFit, like if they've not heard of Rich Fronin, they've not heard of anyone else. Like, um, but and I think I listened to a podcast with Dave Castro, who um also the director of the CrossFit Games, and he was talking about the fact that, you know, he his he wants to be able to pay the winner of the CrossFit Games the same amount of money. You know, I think there's arguments that some CrossFit athletes wanted a salary to be able to compete all year round, and they wanted CrossFit HQ to supply them with that salary and all this type of stuff. And Dave Castro completely agrees with it. But because they're not like the NFL or the NHL or the Major League Baseball. They haven't got that history where it's been going on for years, like hundreds of years that they're just not there yet. And in a hundred years time, that might be it. And there's no reason why it can't be like competitive fitness can't be that high up. But I guess that was my reasoning yeah. behind why, you know, the rich phone in me finding his documentary two and a half years ago is what has influenced me to live the life that I live now. But if we're talking about a Mount Rushmore for people to see, I think I could put Rich Fronin on there. Mm. And I don't think the whole world will know who he is. And which was my reasoning behind why I wouldn't put him on my my wall. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah totally. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, I totally get it. Like, I, I'm not so clued up on the history of a lot of sports because I didn't really follow much to go into that much depth. The only real thing that I followed as much is this. Um but moving on to my, the, these are the two that I've, one may be a little bit too early. Um, and, but I'll go, I'll go with the first one, Michael Phelps. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> as, as I was growing up, swimming was probably the sport, the sport that I did. I actually swam with Hayley, Phil's wife, um, during school. And it was always a bit of a competition between us two, to be honest. I thought, damn, this girl can swim. <laughs> She's I'll, a decent swimmer. I better get, I get better get fast. Um, and I just think, I, 
I don't, I'm not sure if he has changed the way the sport is. I'm sure people would have seen how successful he is. He's been very successful, but I think as an athlete, five Olympics takes some time, takes some like discipline to train that. That's 20 years of training that he's had to keep going. And he was to win that many gold medals. And and that's at the top as well, right? So that's 20 yeah. Oh. 20, 20 years be it's like sitting on the top where everyone else is lining up lining up at that pool like well the best I can do today is second yeah. like <laughs> I think to, I don't think there's anyone that that any, that sits close to that where people will line up to him and be like well I can come second and that that's a win for me today because this guy's just insane but uh, yeah so I think that <laughs> holding that high standard for so long. And it's always been a few years ago, I saw a picture of him swimming and there was a little quote and it was like, um, people might have seen it. It was like, winners focus on winning, losers focus on winners. And ever since, that quote has always been in my head. And and it, yeah, and from then on, and I think just how good he has been as in, in a sport for so long that it takes true dedication to be able to and I, I'm to get into a swim pool now for that amount of time I'm not that doesn't interest me whatsoever I quite it's, I hate it you've got to be spend that much time in the water it's like come out like a prune every day it's, yeah and they all yeah. train at like 6am yeah it's like 2000 metre warm up then you do your session like so many laps Staring at the ground. I think it was eight gold medals in one Olympics. Yeah, what's his total? Was it like 23 or something? Yeah, I think he's at 28 medals altogether, 23 of golds, I think. I mean, eight gold medals in to himself in one Olympics. That's more than what some countries get. <laughs> yeah, ever. Yeah, so it's yeah, pretty in a I think, yeah, definitely an icon to look at. Mm. And people will always see how successful, that that is a great success what he's done. I don't know if anyone will come near that. but um, And yeah, the, the other one, another is is really only because it's the only other sport I really follow. Um, and undoubtedly is definitely the best. And it's Lewis Hamilton. Um, Formula One's been, like I've followed for years, Um and yeah, people will say, oh, this guy's got the best car, so he's going to be the best driver. I think maybe it may be a bit too early to be a Matt Rushmore, but I think over time, because now he's, it maybe should be Schumacher because he had the records, which is for somebody else to chase. And then now Hamilton's going to break all those records, I, I see in the near future, like um, by a long way, that then it will make more drivers in Formula One want to chase and become better. It's a bit like what you were saying, Phil, that how people, how we'd come into a sport and what someone's achieved will then make like Nadal better. So what, what Federer has done would make Nadal better. It's similar to like the running, like the sub two hour marathon. Someone's got to do it at some point, but once that's done, a lot more people will then. So, and I've spent a lot of time watching Lewis 
Hamilton Drive, been to see him, the stuff he can do that people don't believe can be done in a, in a car on on the tires on on the stuff and yeah just it just it just performs all the time under pressure a lot more pressure than any other driver mm. he can handle he just seems to handle it really well you look at his teammate Bottas same car cannot cannot perform half as near as what he is um and there's got to be something in that Bottas, yeah. Bottas is a bond villain <laughs> a name like that like yeah, great Bond villain. Yeah, so yeah, a lot, a lot of them, a lot of them are based on my opinion. Really, they're not real. Some, some of them have done amazing things and for the sports, but that's based that's based around my opinion because I've not, I've, I never really spend much time focusing on others. I, I look at what I need to do and focus on that, and that's it. So I don't really look at what other sporting people are doing, or even what other current sporting people are doing when and I don't know if that comes down to me having a my mindset as a competitor because I know how crazy it can get when you focus on other people it might be a characteristic that we could have brought up at the start that just focusing on what you can do and and only have that because you, you can get wrapped up in all sorts of stuff but yeah so that's that might be why I've only come up with those because they're my they're the only ones I really look at that characteristic might be why you're the the best athlete out of the three of us. <laughs> I'm too busy looking at like Federer to be uh, get any better at any other sport. Yeah, so I don't know as a whole that if any of them will go on the four, maybe Phelps, but we shall see. No, quite possibly. Uh, I think there's a I think there's a case for everyone, to be honest. Um, yeah, certainly. I'm so glad you said Tony Hawks. And I'm also glad you said Lewis Hamilton because he was on my shortlist. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought you were going Tony Hawk to Matt Hoffman then. I thought we were just getting all the... <laughs> I thought they were all going to be up there. Dave Mirror. Yeah, Dave Mirror BMXing. I actually had a Hoffman BMX. That's for next time. We'll do best yeah. sport video games of all time. <laughs> Tyler. So... I don't think um, so. With my background in golf, I don't think my first one's going to come as a, a, a shock to many. Um, so obviously, for me, Tiger Woods is up there. Um, cultural thing, exactly like you said, Phil. Um, that, you know, just I mean, the man had like fifteen video games brought out after him. Like it was an annual thing that a game got brought out after him. So it's not even like FIFA, where like if you made the front cover of FIFA, it was cool. And this is like, no, this game is specifically about you. Like, <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, insane. Completely rewrote the whole way to play golf. Um, known as one of the first people to kind of go down the strength and conditioning side of it and to get fit for the sport. At the time, hit the ball longer than anyone didn't necessarily hit it straight than anyone you could tap into why that was. And you look at the way that he was kind of brought up in the game and very much his dad made him learn how to putt and then work backwards. So, you know, his driving was always meant to be the weakest part of his game, but that was in theory kind of like what his dad saw as, as the last option um, for what he needed to be able to do. But the, there's a book that came out. I can't remember the name of it, but basically you could read on most shots gained on the average field 
uh, in different areas. And I think it was something stupid like um, it was one event that someone else had won. I think it was Ernie Els had won. Um, but actually between 150 and 200 yards away from the flag, Tyler was um, Tiger was making eight shots around game on the average competitor in that field. He's saying from that distance out from the flag, he was basically eight shots better off in comparison to the other, which is just insane. Bear in mind, this is the top of the sport. And him coming into the sport where oversized T-shirts were what people were wearing and, you know, like 5XL chinos with double pleated at the front was, you know, that was yeah. the like he just rewrote it, you know, being the first black person to come through it as what like just yeah, insane. And I think you see his human element to him as much as people used to say that it was a robot and he could go on to become president of the States because he was just a poster boy. You saw that human element when all of his kind of like dark side or well, viewed as dark side just sounds like he was having fun to his life. Um later on. But uh yeah, great of all time. There's not there's cannot be a person in the world that doesn't know who he is um he hasn't beaten jack nicholas's all-time record of most majors one but and he probably won't but you can't even put those two on the same in my opinion you can't even put those two on the same pedestal you know he's he's just completely he inspired so many others to now play the way they do um and approach their golf the way they do maybe not their wives and and family life um, I always remembered, like, if you're going to play golf on on the PlayStation or something, you'd go, "Oh, do you want a game of Tiger Woods?" But you'd never say like golf. You just you'd call the game. Yeah. Him. And Phil Mickelson was class, but he was just known for being like the first left-hander that kind of was like pretty pretty good. But like, and he was in a generation where again could have been unbelievable shot maker and like so good at what he did. But you're in Tiger Woods' generation, so like. Never going to happen, mate. You can win. You know when he was winning Masters, everyone's going, "Oh, it's Tiger versus uh, it's Tiger versus Phil. It's Tiger versus Phil." You were like, "I don't even care if you beat Tiger. Like hands down, you beat him ten and eight out on the golf course, and you just wipe the floor with him." People will just say it's luck, or he's had an off day, or like you still doesn't make you better than mm. him. Tiger's just gone on, and he's done so much in his career. You know, um, again, Nike athlete, Gillette adver- uh, advertiser, so he's made it. See. Um, <laughs> Michael Jordan was in my top four as well. So we kind of covered covered him. Um, and we, it was quite cool because we had similar reasons. Yeah, 100%. Um, this one for me is a, is personal, but it was very much affected, uh, affected the way that I went about my practice again. And I've already mentioned his name once in, in today's. Uh, for me, it was Johnny Wilkinson. Now, this could we could be having a completely different story, uh, sorry, a completely different conversation if Johnny Wilkinson was born in New Zealand because he'd probably stamp down, in my opinion, the fact he's the greatest of all time because he was also on a team that was just so unbelievably dominant that could almost put him on even higher a pedestal. Um, and I think the England team that he, uh, when they won the World Cup, I think there were some very, very good individuals that merged a very, very good team together. Um but I still think that from a career perspective, Johnny did everything he did being short, being dealt a shorthand with the teams he played. You know, look at Newcastle, for instance, when he played for Newcastle, you know, like they weren't smashing the premiership. I think they won it once when he was playing for them, but like they weren't winning the premiership all the time. I think that's when the premiership started. Well, okay, all the, the, 
first division or however, yeah, you have you want to look at it. You know, he came into when he started playing, it was very much still seen as an amateur sport, you know. Um, but it was the mindset. And if you read his, uh, he's a funny one. If you read his autobiography, he very much brought his whole training um, kind of approach around a fear of failure. So he was very much like, like I said, that that example of him kicking that penalty in the in the first half of extra time in the World Cup final was like the reason why he practiced so hard was that if that situation ever came up, like he he knew that he'd done it, he knew he could do it, and he's got that belief that he's just so scared that he would be unprepared. And at, after extra t- sorry, after full time, just for extra time, Clive Woodward tried to pull Johnny Wilkinson aside to basically chat to him before they went into extra time. And Clive Woodward started talking to him and Clive was the England coach at the time. And uh, Johnny Wilkinson just like cut him off halfway through a sentence and just said, I've got to go kick. And just had to grab his kicking tee and grab some balls and go out onto the pitch. When everyone else was in the change room, he had to have some him time where he could just kind of do his thing and be able to just kind of clear his head and, and do what, what kind of kept him grounded. Um, so you've got, I've written here, Johnny Wilkinson versus Dan Carter debate. Mm. So, uh, obviously Dan Carter is also a, well, a national like icon for New Zealand, uh, a global icon for the game of rugby, was also a left-footed you know, goal kicker, just like Johnny Wilkinson, was like a little bit younger than Johnny Wilkinson, was a bit better looking than Johnny Wilkinson. Um, but for me being an Englishman, and I think that's probably the, the bias to it, hmm. was that Johnny, like I said, Johnny doing what he was doing, almost... He didn't, but almost single-handedly winning the World Cup. He redefined the way that, especially England played rugby, he brought a kicking game to international rugby that was, wasn't was seen before him. Like, yes, guys kicked, and, and there were good goal kickers, and there were good uh, place ki- uh, at hand kickers. But like, England built, you know, when we beat France in the 2007 World Cup in the semi-final, like, we were utterly, utterly awful and just relied on Johnny Wilkinson to kick us through the whole thing. Yeah, I really remember that game or that that World Cup at least because you had a very, in terms of what's been gone before, an average England team that was dragged to the final by one man, really. That for me, and when I was playing rugby as a kid and obviously when we were playing rugby, you know, like as a kid, I had desires to be a fly half and wanted, wanted to kind of recreate that. But actually, it was just just the the way, the professionalism that he brought to the way he practiced and what he did. And, you know, he had a black, is it Steve Black, his, his mm. uh, S&C coach, who was like clinically obese, huge beard, Geordie that coached Johnny Wilkinson out of his garage, you know, but putting him through like serious uh, strength and condition. And there was a story of Johnny losing to Jason Robinson on like an agility drill test. And he was like, Blackie, I do not. I do not want to lose to him again. So spent like spent his pre pre-season getting ready for pre-season so that he turned up and he was the fittest one there. And it's yeah, for me he's uh, he's up there. So that's my my three that cemented in my opinion, Tiger, Johnny, Michael Jordan. And I've got a couple on my short list of five I put in there, being huh. Eugene Bolt and Michael Phelps, being that like for points that you guys have both said as well. Um and we could turn around, like I said, going off your guys, like, you know, you can argue your, your Mike Tyson, Muhammad Ali, Pele's. Um, I even had 
I followed uh, NHL for a little bit. So one of the guys I used to work with was really, really keen on his ice hockey and played for a team over in um, Gillingham and just kind of got me into it quite a bit. And there's a guy called Sidney Crosby, if you guys have ever heard of him. He plays for uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. Basically, you've probably heard of Wayne Gretzky, mm. right, mm. from films, Mighty Ducks or whatever it might have been. You might have heard of Wayne Gretzky. Sidney Crosby is basically like a modern day version of him, but obviously just gets compared to Wayne Gretzky because older generations have heard of Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. Uh, you got that Lance Armstrong, Roger Federer, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, these guys, but like none of them kind of influenced me in my sport at all. So I ended up coming back to two people who I couldn't choose between. Uh, one of them was uh, Jonah Lomu. And Jonah just purely from an as not an aesthetic perspective, but from a, a um, anatomy perspective, I guess. Like he's not meant to be a winger. Have you seen the size of the guy? Mm. Oh shit, he's absolutely rapid. Oh right, all of a sudden he's redefining how you how you play that position. And it could have been football, could have been rugby, could have been whatever. You know, you look at the guy. I can't remember the um, Traore, the the winger for Wolves, mm. who's jacked he's ginormous mm. and apparently like doesn't lift a weight doesn't like doing physical exercise but he's just in his genes he's ginormous but you know all of a sudden he's rapid he's strong like and almost redefining like what a footballer should be like not just a good runner not just like a, a Ross Barkley that did his 5k in like 16 minutes or whatever time he did it in um and I guess you've got an argument with Ronaldo you know, they're redefining the physical attributes of not just football, but what it takes to be an, an elite, elite sportsman. Mm. But Jonah Lomu kind of did that back in a day where we didn't have the sports science and the, and the technology to kind of back up what he was doing or what he was. Um, so it was him. And the other one was just purely personal favourite um, was David Beckham. And yes. Bex, man. For me, Bex wasn't just... He never stood out, right? Apart from his free kicks that he was obviously unreal at and this... And, you know, that that long kind of cross-ball, a uh, cross-pitch ball that he would put in to, like... He never really lit a game up. He was there when he was needed to be. Even the game against Greece where he sent us to the World Cup finals, like, he was, like, average during the game and then knocks it in at the end of the game just said, like, that's what he's remembered for. But I guess it was, he was probably one of the first people, especially in our country, to be thrown into that like absolute pedestal of celebrity status and how he's going to deal with it. Um, and I think he, I, it was more, almost more inspiring the fact that you got to, you got to see that these guys, the amount of shit these guys have to put up with off the pitch off the court away from what they do from a day-to-day job in order to juggle that kind of that, that work-life balance um so i guess the long and short of it is that i i only have kind of three cemented in the other two i couldn't choose because they're two completely different reasons yeah you'd have a couple of women in there as well because i felt a bit bad didn't have any women um but i serena williams was one of them um very again very similar to you feel like if I was to say to you, name a, name a tennis, a female tennis star, like you're going to name her straight away. It's going to be the first one. You might name Sharapova because you remember she's the one that makes all the noises, but like uh, Serena Williams is going to be the one that jumps straight out. 
but I think one woman that has done it for a sport that I don't think I could actually name, I couldn't name off the top of my head, any male athletes that do it, but I could name you one female athlete and probably one female athlete only. So if I was to say to you, pick me a skier that you know, name a skier. Yeah. Name me another skier. Um, Jimmy Alcott. Oh, mate, come on, you're know, just showing off. <laughs> that be my point, like, name a skier, Lindsay Vaughn, you know, her, her career kind of speaks for itself as well. But it's that kind of icon status, but it wasn't enough for me to put on a greatest of all time. Mm. Yeah. But that's me kind of covering my backside of why I didn't pick any females to go up there. Not to say that it's, you know, that'll stop that. Is that because you feel that female sport is catching up to men's not necessarily on a skill level but because of societal reasons it's kind of been held back a little bit and once female sport gets the attention it deserves you're going to start seeing more and more of these um female sporting icons come through in more sports because you've probably got a few like jessica ennis are quite household names because there are more females that are participating in track and field um crossfit is absolutely flying the flag for that as well if you look at the ladies, you know, what these ladies are doing from a performance aspect. Oh, completely. You know, like, I think they're flying the flag for equality in male and female performance. Yeah, in that, not even just in CrossFit. Like, just, it's got, I think it's got women doing a lot more. Like, they go to the gym a lot more, they lift lift weights now, they just, it's just, it's just something that, they now see is okay to do, I guess. And I wonder if I'm not saying it wasn't okay to do before, but just I wonder if it's a lot of it is down to the fact it's a new sport. So because it was brand new, it just started with males and females doing very similar things. Whereas all the other sports, they started with predominantly males playing. So now it's the females catching up. Whereas that, because it was brand new, it was in a. It started in a in a society which was much more, you know, you, you won't argue that it's completely equal, but it's more equal than it is back in the 1900s. So because of that, it's enabled it to have a better. The sport has had a better head start in terms of equality. I mean, it's probably multifactorial, but that could have been one of the reasons why. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Mm. Mm. I will, Cool. No, I'll just say I think Tyler's. I think each of us has nipped off to get the uh, charger for our laptop <laughs> individually. So um, <clears throat> once Tyler's back, what I think we should do is highlight what are the key factors that we think uh, come up most often when discussing who's in our Mount Rushmores. Yeah. So that you know, there's. What I think has been quite impressive is even though we've been aware of certain achievements like number of competitions win, uh, world records and all that, that never seems to be one of the main reasons why we've chosen these athletes to be in our Mount Rushmore. A lot of it comes down to how they've had either effect on popular culture or an effect on ourselves. Yeah. So I wonder if we end up using that to try and narrow it down as to like who's an hour or four person team, four person Matt Rushmore. 
Tony Hawk now. He's right up there. Tony Hawk. <laughs> Tony Hawk's got me. Tony Hawk's got his own mountain. Yeah. <laughs> with a half with yeah. a half pipe on top. Glam. Well, if we had like a combined Mount Rushmore, I'll throw it out there. I think Michael Jordan should be on it mm. because we've named him twice. Yeah. He 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 was definitely a person that was like in a shortlist for me, but I, I knew that one of you two was going to pick him. I definitely knew Phil was, because he talked about Last Dance every time I saw him. <laughs> Shut up, Phil. You're boring. <laughs> We've all seen it. Shut up. I don't even need to watch it. I know everything, because yeah, he told me. Episode three, this is what happens. <laughs> so Jordan can be number one. Um, I would say that how the athlete has had an effect on popular culture seems to be the more popular or one of the main reasons why we've included like even if we have slight variations of it that seems to be the reason why we've included them into our yeah into our Mount Rushmore so then it's about narrowing down as like who's had the biggest impact and we either go biggest impact on us or who do we think has had the biggest impact on popular culture as a whole so the ones that seem to satisfy those the most um, are uh, T- Tiger Woods. I'd say Lewis Hamilton, to a certain extent. Um, Federer, Usain Bolt, and probably Serena Williams. The way she's affected um, female sport has been absolutely incredible. Mm. And, you know, I mean, dominant in her sport. So those would be, I've just listed five. Did I miss anyone do we think might be, might have influenced sport even more? Pat Ronaldo. I wonder if if Ronaldo hasn't really fully come up. It's because I don't think anyone really knows who's the best between him, Messi or Pele. But even Pele. Aside within the sport, you don't know whether to put them in the greatest of all sports. Exactly. Like, for me, you know, Ronaldo, Ronaldo and Messi are like the two complete opposites. One I, of them, female, absolute female. Is it sorry, a male specimen? Like, just does everything possible to defy the the boundaries of what a, a traditional footballer looks like. One of them looks like the little slightly underdeveloped kid that you would have picked to be in your team at school because he was quite quick, and actually he's also mustered with a with a football between his feet. You know. Hmm. Um, or that's how he spent most of his career anyway um, so they're two ends of the scale and I don't think well who would you want on your team out of the two of them I don't know I wonder if it comes down to leadership qualities then would you go Ronaldo is Ronaldo more of a leader Because of the way he was, was it, was it Portugal that won the European? It was the European Cup at that time. And Ronaldo got injured early on in the final and he pretty much like shoved the manager to the side and managed the team himself. Was that a European final? It was, yeah. I'm wondering if we're never actually going to decide. I don't think you can. I think we can agree, like you say, with Michael Jordan. I guess, I think we can agree, like open to most people's opinion but yet the characteristics come down to what we've said. Like there's a cultural aspect to it. They've redefined 
the game. They've redefined the way the, the sports person who plays the game. You know, people will now, whether rightly or wrongly, going from what, from what Daryl said, rightly or wrongly, they will try to build their attributes, their kids' attributes, their you know their teenage attributes around these people that have done it before them. Mm. Yeah. Like I'm trying to become five foot ten. <laughs> so that I can go for my pull-ups a lot quicker. <laughs> you spend like three hours a day with a barbell on your back. Just, just compress that spine. <laughs> if you thin out and dehydrate your, your discs, you might get there. Yeah. Easy as. Cartilage is overrated. I probably don't have any. <laughs> not on my knees anyway. No, definitely not on your knees. <laughs> no pain at the moment, apart from that bony spur sticking out the medial side. <laughs> We'll see what happens with that one anyway. All right, guys. Mate, that was brilliant. Really enjoyed that. And I'm actually quite glad that we didn't come up with our joint four-man or four-woman Mount Rushmore because I think we've just highlighted just how impossible it is to actually really define it. Do you go really objectively or really this is something that's quite subjective? And I think that's one of the beauties of trying to really understand sports performance because everyone's opinion on what it takes to be the best of the best is different. So discussing these differences is quite, I think, important to really show and develop your own ideas around what is important for sports performance. So cheers for that, guys. Uh, and what we're going to do, we've got a list of different topic ideas for the next roundtable. But for any listeners, if you have any ideas of topics that you'd like us to discuss, please send them in. I'm going to put up something on Instagram nearer the time when we're about to film the next roundtable. So get your ideas in and also have a little think. Who'd be on your Mount Rushmore and has this discussion actually influenced your ideas at all? But apart from that, Daryl, Tyler, cheers for that. I'll see you in the next episode. Yeah.